Welcome back, folks. Uh, this is Sam from the Ministry of Shirts, your host at the Aussie Screen Printing Club. I'm finishing my, I like to call it a tour of the United Kingdom. Uh, tour is a bit rich, but I uh, have had the opportunity to speak to uh, some people in the printed apparel game. And I'm really excited to introduce Danny to you. Uh, Danny is from the Flippin got to get this, the way of saying that correct the flipping sweet print company t-shirt printer screen printer extraordinaire the man who's perfected the art of the soft hand uh, print using plastisol and he'll explain some of the techniques behind that and he's at that uh, business precipice should we call it a precipice or just a bridge that he's about to cross uh, by moving from manual um a manual print shop to an automated print shop not quite there but he's pretty close and uh super exciting and interesting uh, commentary from him on his journey so enjoy catch you later bye welcome mate welcome to the aussie screen printing club thanks so much for coming on uh, from the UK. I'm in the UK, so we're in the same time zone for once, but uh, thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, That's all right, Matt. Yeah. Good to be here. Yeah. Tell us about, just just start where you're at at the moment. What are you doing in screen printing? What kind of things are you printing? What kind of business have you got? And then maybe we'll go back and get your full history, if that's all right. Yeah, of course it is. Um, so at the moment, I'm I'm trying to build a custom screen print shop. Um, we're printing uh, provided artwork from sort of independent, smaller businesses, um, such as, you know, brands, clothing brands that are looking to get started, yep. uh, festivals, events, etc. And it's all, all I do really is I just screen print, screen print on a manual, six colour press. Um, nice. Yeah, we're on the verge of dreaming about an auto <laughs> getting over that line you know it's a little difficult but hopefully in the very near future will be an auto shop yeah but right. only a small yeah. auto shop and you're based in exactly i forget exactly but you're near hull aren't you is that northeast of yeah England? that's right no that's right yeah near, near hull um it's a seaside town called bridlington, bridlington. very out of the way sort of in middle of in middle of nowhere <laughs> but right. yeah and you supplying the whole of Britain, or do you do anything in Europe, or what's your market? So yeah, it's UK based. Basically, I, I treat it as an internet business, um, and I, I ship across the UK. Yep. I don't have so too much local work, to be honest. Um, Tiny, it's, a, it's a very small town. There's really not a lot of work here for me, <laughs> so yeah. I have to be an internet business. But yeah, we ship all over UK. Yeah, nice. And how long have you been doing this? So, Flipping Sweet as a business has been a ten, has been around for ten years now. So, November the second, just gone, was the tenth anniversary. Oh, yeah. Wow! Uh, but as a screen printer, um, I would say maybe five or six years. Five or six years of good, solid screen printing. And yep. actually knowing what I'm doing, <laughs> whereas the first few years were just all mistakes, and um, I, I, I wasn't really qualified to be doing it. But you learn but as you were taking orders. 
you're still taking orders but kind of cutting your teeth and learning how to to make it work because the trouble with screen printing is and i know everyone says this but there's just so many variables aren't there you think you've got something right and you go why isn't that working and you discover another variable yeah yeah so even today with all the experience you're still you can you can get everything right you can tick all of the boxes and then for some reason what you're putting on press just isn't what's supposed to happen <laughs> sometimes it's just a mystery but yeah it's a constant yeah. learning curve constantly. yeah it's like a bit of a black art in some ways so let's go right back yeah. then how why screen printing how did you get into it what were you doing before or was this something you did when you left school or how did it all start for you? Well, that's a very long story. I mean, when I, so I left a job that I wasn't happy with. And from that point, I decided I'm going to work for myself. Um, and I'd had a little bit of experience printing t-shirts with vinyl. So heat press vinyl. Yep. Um, I decided to go down the route of, so I want to print t-shirts for a living. I want to build a print shop. So I basically started doing bootleg vinyl t-shirts. Okay. <laughs> so I was selling on the likes of eBay and Amazon and uh, Play.com, um, all, all of them, Etsy. I think Etsy just about burst onto the scene about then. And I, I was doing band t-shirts and yeah. uh, <coughs> motorbike t-shirts, etc. Formula One t-shirts. Hmm. And I built up quite a big business. Fortunately bootleg it's not very safe no, <laughs> and um, no. not very moral either <laughs> so a lot of people that kind of came get, crashing get down way, just to say a lot of people do get going through bootlegging though but yeah so yeah. did they kind of catch up with you or did you just decide it was yeah noise or? so so at some point during this process i was i built up to quite a big shop i had a big large format printer so i could do the print and cut vinyl um and I bought a little bit of screen printing equipment. The screen printing equipment sort of just sat there and I would use it every now and again, kind of not knowing what we're doing. I was even flash curing shirts. I had a flash dryer, but not a tunnel dryer for, for a little while. Um, and eventually, it, like you say, it sort of just caught up on me. Eventually you start getting strikes. When you're doing dodgy printing <laughs> um, for stuff you're not really supposed to be doing, the likes of eBay and Amazon, eventually they start giving you strikes and say, well, you shouldn't really be selling this. Oh, wow. And it just catches up with you. And eventually you have to say, okay, I better not do this anymore. And at that point, it was taken out of my hands. So I got rid of all of my selling channels. I got rid of all of my vinyl equipment, my heat presses. The only thing I kept was my uh, manual screen printing carousel, my flash dryer, and I think with what little bit of money I had left, I bought a tunnel dryer. Okay. And I decided to rebuild, start from scratch, and become a, an actual screen printer. Yeah. And um, yeah, so, and luckily, when the decision was taken out of my hands, it was the best thing that could have happened. Because if yeah, it had carried yeah. on down that path, you know, I would have got to this point eventually. So the sooner it happened, the better. Yeah. You don't want to be learning how to screen print in jail either. You know what I mean? Like, no, this is it. <laughs> kind of get out of that. So, okay, that's kind of cool, right? So you you started your business, you're bootlegging, which, as I said, so many people do, and I get it entirely. It's uh, it's doable. Um, but you bought 
most of the screen print stuff then when you decided you got this kind of kick out of that you sold that and you were ready to go you got your tunnel dryer yeah and you just started a new model online you said you do, your sales are an online thing so you build a website straight away like how did that you get traction for sales yes yeah, so we had a little bit of an instagram following from the from the bootleg days i had a website from the bootleg days and i basically just converted it i converted the website rather than being a retail outlet that was selling t-shirts um i got rid of all the products and i just put a you know contact us box and i explained we can provide custom printed t-shirts yeah i still utilized the likes of ebay and amazon and etsy for a little while mm. so i would offer packages so 20 custom t-shirts with your artwork for a certain price and i guess that's how i really got started in offering custom work people would find me on ebay more than anything yeah uh, and they would order 20 t-shirts for a stack do or you know hindu or stack do or uh, quite a lot of so uh, like protest protesting um protest movements mm. we would get a lot of them in the early days and they would order bulk load of you know 100 t-shirts yeah. and they would all wear with a message on the front and they would wear it to these rallies and uh, i don't I, I don't get so much of that nowadays but yeah that's in the early days that was one of the big things that got me screen printing and that was easy because it was one color and usually it was black on multiple color shirts so that was easy that was a it's hard to go wrong with that so yeah, yeah that's kind of where i got going and this eventually funny. sorry carry on mate carry on yep no no you called cool. sorry i cut you up you'll go for it but no 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 you carry on i was going to ask you about how you learned but keep going on about how you got going in the market it sounds good uh, well, I guess, uh, so I, I, eventually the eBay and the Amazon, I, that died down, I got rid of it, and I built up enough of a customer base that I could run solely from getting traffic from my website mm -hmm. and just Instagram and word of mouth. Yeah, and that's where I'm at today, pretty much. And have you um, found that your any of those particular markets have grown? Like, I'm interested in the effect that COVID's had. A lot of people have started their own clothing brands, but... Has that been your experience in the last few years as well, or has another market taken off for you? Yeah, I would say so. The customers we had pre-COVID, quite a lot of them did disappear over the COVID years, mm. but another customer took their place. Um, and you did a lot more, a lot more musicians and bands they had no choice but to sell merchandise because they, they couldn't tour anymore. They couldn't, yeah, right. you know, they couldn't go play events. So they almost had to sell T-shirts, uh, you know, just to make a living. So we saw a lot more of those come by and a lot of startups, definitely a lot of independent, you know, guys who think, let's uh, start a clothing brand for various genres. Mm. Quite a lot of those kit come, come and go. You see it quite often, you'll see a lot come and then mm. you know we have a go for a year and then it kind of don't work out mm. so you, you always have a trickle of startups but every now and again someone gets it right and they become a long-term customer mm. and that's always that's always nice I, I sometimes think with those kind of customers you can almost tell you know when you're perhaps chatting to them on the phone you know just giving advice on how to get moving in it that they don't 
the people I think generally don't seem to get going is the ones that don't have an idea, a clear idea about their brand and what it means in that marketplace. Yeah. Because there are so many clothing brands now, but also they don't know the sales aspect to it. The people that seem to really understand Instagram and um, you have a kind of meaningful story behind their brand seem to get more traction and, and grow. All right, let's... let's yeah. I was going to say, let's work out how you actually learn. So going from vinyl, which is fairly straightforward, but from the weeding, which is totally mental, um, to screen, yeah. you've already said it's got lots of variables. So how did you learn it? What, what, what did you do? Did you do, get some training? Did you do YouTube? Did you, how, how did it happen? It, it, to be honest, it was a lot of, just a lot of mistakes. I spent a long time making mistakes and learning from those mistakes i did refer to youtube a lot back in back in the day when i first started there was only really cat spit around okay but, you know yeah. cat spit was cat spit was great to learn so even today i love to refer back to his videos yeah um but there was there was no ryan that was still doing a little bit but apart from that it was just nearly all cat spit but the majority was just a case of just picking it up and having a go and just, you know, working out what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. And more often than not, it didn't work. So I had to try something new. And eventually you build up a big enough pile of discarded shirts that have all washed <laughs> off and uh, they're all or over cured and burnt. And, you know, eventually you, you find your way to sort of working it out, I guess. So not the most cost effective way to learn, but <laughs> that's well, how I did it, I guess. It's a good way to learn in the sense that you're learning, you know what I mean? Like I found like I'm I've come through similar kind of learning curve to you. Um and I try to do everything by YouTube. Well, I did pretty much everything yeah. by YouTube. And the yeah. people you mentioned, but I'm much more recent, so there are others on the list. But um yeah, tried not to make any mistakes, if you know what I mean, but made hundreds, but Perhaps yeah, that's actually the only way, unless you can get some training. Is there formal training in Britain for screen printing, or you know, not not right now? I've, I've got a not right now. There's no formal training. I, I believe you can do a little bit of textile printing at university. There's almost like a little uh, a side note to a more creative course. Right. You, you couldn't go to university or college and say, "Look, I want to be a textile screen printer. Teach me how to." run a screen room, how to print on press, teach me, you know, there's none of that right now. I have a, I have a friend who does a podcast with me who is thinking of setting up a screen printing school. So possibly in the near future, <laughs> but right now, no. <laughs> let's give that, I listened to that podcast. So let's uh, give it a plug. That's Chippy T, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. The Chippy T podcast. Uh, it's me and my mate, Tony Palmer, who was a screen print consultant, so he knows what he doesn't know about screen printing, probably worth knowing. He's yeah. been around for about 35 years in the industry. So I'm, to be honest, I'm just pig piggybacking off of Tony's knowledge and picking up as much as I can. It's <laughs> great. I really enjoy it. At the same time. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's I appreciate that. Yeah, it's good banter. And uh, I think they come out weekly on YouTube. Are they, are they on any of the other streaming services? Yeah, right now it's just YouTube and Spotify. It's it's, it's turning into a full time job on top of a full time job. So just keeping it as simple as possible. YouTube and Spotify for now. Yeah, that's <laughs> just what good. I mean. Um, 
Okay, so you learned that way. If and let's just talk about all. I mean, the processes from sales through to dispatch and everything in the middle. What do you reckon was the hardest thing to kind of master from one end to the other? Was it the burning of screens, the artwork? Was it the actual print experience, working with inks? What, what do you reckon was the hardest? Yeah, um, I mean, it's all it's all quite a hard learning curve. I, th I think I have a bit of a, uh, a little bit of a perfectionist. So I think over the years, I've constantly tried to improve that print finish. Mm -hmm. And one thing I was never really happy with was the print finish of Plastisol until I spent a lot of years tweaking it um, until I, what I think is a quite a good print finish now. Um, I almost wanted to imitate the effect of water-based screen printing. So right. if you've ever seen a screen printed water-based shirt, the, yeah. the feel of it is virtually non-existent and mm. you know it's a really nice quality. Emulating that with Plastisol, because printing on a manual, uh, I, know, I know people who do screen print water-based on manuals, but it's bloody hard work. <laughs> mm. So I prefer to print Plastisol. Um, I, I actually use a combination. So I use a high-solid acrylic water-based white Okay. And then I'll print plastic saw colours on top. And I guess that's what over the years I've um eventually learned to put together to get the desired print effects that I wanted. So I guess I guess to answer your question, the hard thing was just being satisfied with what I'm printing. And it's took a lot of years to get to somewhere where I think actually I'm I'm okay with this now. I'm a little bit proud of the print. Mm -hmm the quality and feel that I'm putting down because we all start with plastic. Well, I'm sure a lot of us start with plastisol and you get big, thick, heavy prints. It's got very grainy texture, a lot of fibrillation. Mm. And it takes a lot of years of printing shirts until you realize, you know, you can, you can get a really good quality print surface, uh, but you just have to put all the variables together and you just pick that up over, over time, I guess, over a lot of printing. I reckon a lot of printers don't do it. You know what I mean? They, they're they learning stuff, but they kind of don't work out. That's the thing about doing it the hard way, in a sense, is you just keep going back and back and back until you work that out and honing in those variables. So just give me those ink brands. What it was an acrylic. We're using it as an underbase, the white. Yeah, so I use Magna Aquaflex for the whites. Yep. All, all my white screen prints are Magna Aquaflex. And then at the moment, I'm using International Coatings, uh, their mixing system for yep. Plastisol colours. I'll be honest, I'm looking at switching to uh, Wilflex. Mm -hmm. I believe it's slightly more opaque from word of mouth. But I'm, I want to test that. Um, I'm not 100% yet. I'm going to give that a go at some point. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The um, Wilflex and Rutland and a couple of others have been bought out, I think, by a company called Avion or Aviant. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And we've noted, we use Rutland and Wilflex and we're a plastisol um, shop. Occasionally we'll do discharge or, you know, standard water base, but it's a nightmare to print with. Um, and we've now, and of course, we're in Australia, so our inks will definitely come from different places. So my understanding was yeah. pre-Avion, um, the whites were manufactured in the US. Now they're manufactured in um, China. And just in the yeah. last 
six months the guys are going hmm this doesn't this white doesn't seem quite so opaque um yeah and so i don't know if that's a, a real thing or an imagined thing i've heard other screen printers saying yeah that's been their experience too but um that mm. magna so you're you're going to try wilflex white out tiger white really no so i'm, I'm going to try the wilflex uh, color mixing kit oh right just so, the colors yeah just for, just for just for colors yeah anything white i'm sticking with magna so the, the high solid acrylic there were, there were other high solid acrylics but high solid acrylic for me uh, is the best print finish for white, in my yeah. opinion. You're getting a real soft, light print, but you can get a very opaque finish. Mm. Um, but when you put, I mean, you're not technically supposed to do this, but when you put plastisol colours on top, I think you get a very good effect. Um, the ink companies would never say mix the two because sure. you really shouldn't but just in my experience i tried it i thought wow this looked amazing i wash tested it my t-shirts that i've got in my wardrobe that i've printed myself the ones that last the longest are the ones that have got a combination is that right okay. water-based water uh underbase plus it's all top colors okay but maybe i'm just getting lucky <laughs> well it's like you say you kind of worked it out and so it sounds like a like not quite but a little bit like a discharge and then plastisol in terms of the soft hand at the end so like printing yeah almost the smoothness of like a black ink on a white shirt or something like very yeah exactly that yeah wow i'm gonna have to have a look at that sounds cool and would you reduce any of the inks at all or what what kind of meshes would you use to get that effect what would your underbase go down on well, under, under basis, typically you'll be on a 40, 42, um, or is it 43, 42? And then top colours, I will more often than not just use 90s. Um, wow, so okay. I'm not putting too much ink down. I'm getting yeah. a nice, sharper edge. And it's just enough to put it on top of a, as long as you've got a good opaque, water, uh, good opaque level under base, those colours will sit on top really nice. Nice. Um, and you'd yeah. use that, sorry to keep going technical, but you'd use that um, ink, that Magna ink for the highlight white as well? Is that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So under base, I mean, there was times I've used a plaster salt as a highlight. And in all honesty, there's very, it's very difficult to see the difference. Um, the highlight white with plaster salt, once, when you use that water base white as an under base, you're almost putting down a leveler hsa puts down a very level bedded down it beds down all the fibers it makes it a very nice even level surface so when you put your inks on top of it you get a real nice you don't see so much of a texture you don't get any fibrillation mm -hmm. i just find it really works well as an underbase um, mm -hmm. and then you can put plastisol whites as a highlight on top if you like it looks really good that looks really good as well um but I typically would plastisol colours, and then I would just use a highlight white, uh, just use another screen for a HSA, just to get a super soft feel. Yeah, wow, okay. Um, manually screen printing 90Ts is quite hard going, but <laughs> you, you're you obviously yeah pretty buff to do that. And <laughs> yeah, you spoke about getting a, an auto earlier, but you're obviously coping perfectly well with it. 
a manual with an ITT. Yeah. I mean, towards the end of the year, when the sort of the madness of Christmas comes about, and you know, I'm stood at that press all the time. Yeah, like my shoulders could start to hurt, and me at my forearms are getting a bit sore. Yeah. So yeah, the busy attack. It's not too bad when it's like right now. It's going to be quiet for a little bit. It's you know, Christmas is over with, and it should be steady. I'll be totally fine putting on a manual. But yeah. then when the busy, you know, when the peaks come, that's when it gets tough. And um, is that your going to Christmas, or is it summer as well, or like how does that work through the calendar for you? It's it's difficult to say because we've we've just had the 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 COVID years, if you like to call it. It's just been so unpredictable. What used to be my peaks and troughs, and what used to be a almost predictable year, has totally been wiped out. And when I expect to be busy, I've been super quiet. It's just yeah. so up and down at the moment. And I feel like we're still settling out. We're still leveling back into normality a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I've not really got a set pattern at the minute. But Christmas is always a rush just because it's a case of everybody. It's just finishing up all the orders and getting them out in time so that they all have it before Christmas. And yeah. they can get, you know, they get the orders out to their customers. It's always just adds a little level of stress. Especially when the couriers are super slow, <laughs> which they have been this year. So, but and then you shut like down. That. You do a full shutdown, like for full shutdown. Yeah. So I mean, the shop. It's not. It's not. It's not so much like a forced shutdown. It's just it just goes quiet. I just my emails stop coming in, and yeah. so I just plod about the shop and have a tidy up and yeah. do a bit of DIY and a bit of organising and planning for the future, I suppose. It's a good time to kind of catch up on those projects. You think, if I can have this working that way, you know, make this a yeah, lot better, yeah. but you haven't got the time to actually do it. Okay, just to get, no, talk about right. COVID. What, I mean, how did it, I mean, Britain was shut down like neo-Nazis in a bit for a bit, wasn't it? So, you know, I mean, the third yeah. round. Do, do you know what's really strange, though? My opinion of Australia, my sort of, perception should i say of australia was almost the same i thought australia had super strict rules it's very strange <laughs> i've been chatting to a few p people about this it depends where you are right in australia so um right. yeah we had all the lockdowns i never once didn't go to work not one day no no me neither yeah, yeah. It, it, I, I, it was just allowed to carry on but if yeah, you yeah. To, to travel interstate if you wanted to go to new from new south wales let's say to queensland no that wasn't going to happen and the state the no. biggest state yeah, or one of the biggest states in the west of australia is called western australia you know really novel yeah naming <laughs> convention uh, <laughs> what we call it um they just locked out from australia for almost half of the whole of the covid time wouldn't let anyone in or out you know if your old man was dying or whatever no, you can't come in. And that, I think, has created a really um, big story internationally about Australia bootstrapping. But yeah. to be fair, um, Melbourne, so it's in the south in, in Victoria, Yeah, they just bulletproofed the city and locked it down. And, you know, then it would be open for like a week and then they'd lock it down again. And, and apparently, I've yeah. researched it, but people say that Melbourne, you know, end to end has had the longest lockdown in in the in the 
in the world. Um, wow. What happened is quite a few people left the state of Victoria and migrated yeah. away to other places. But we, I mean, we were hit badly um, in terms of the revenue. Like it dropped, yeah. I think, in the first month of lockdown, it was like 96% of the revenue just vanished. Wow. You know, was, yeah. Um, and, uh, in that first year, we came back, we were 16% down. But the next year, it doubled in revenue. Yeah. And then yeah. last year, yeah. it doubled. By, oh, sorry, it didn't double. It grew by about 65 66%. So um, it's kind of like, wow, how did that happen? Was that your kind of experience as well? It just stopped or... I would, yeah, I would say it's fairly similar. I mean, when when it very first came about, it was dead. I didn't see, I didn't receive a single email. Everybody was just in panic mode and yeah. wondering what the hell was going to go on. But then eventually the email start trickling back in, and like I say, a lot of customers who stopped were re replaced with people who were, you know, trying to be a little bit savvy. Right, well, I can't go to work anymore. I can't go on tour. Uh, I better sell some t-shirts. And they started to come in. I would say that very first year was definitely down. Um, I didn't make as much money as I normally would. The second year was almost a bounce back because restrictions were a little bit eased and things started to go, go ahead. More events were supposed to go ahead. Uh, festivals were coming back. And some of, some of them didn't make it, but people were anticipating. So we got some event shirt orders which are, uh, you know, every summer you have some big size orders for events. They're always nice. And both start to come back a little bit. And then I would say, you know, I mean, I've lost track of timing. It's kind of, we almost had a major, major drop, a little bit of a, oh, things are, things are looking okay. And then it's just been up and down ever since. I, after, I can't really see a pattern right now. Yeah. And I, I think we've obviously got COVID was, had an impact. But then you've got all the uh, other stuff that's going on in Ukraine and the repercussions of COVID financially. Yeah, I feel like they're almost taking the toll now. I feel like people are now suffering. Um, so what this year is going to be like, I don't know. But it's just keep grafting away, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and that's right. You can't predict. It's, you know, I feel like, you know things are very different in the market in australia because it's just a huge continent with two men a woman and a dog on you know like it's a tiny population <laughs> so it's, i find it very hard to to understand that but um we don't have the same well we have some of the same issues that you have here but i don't know britain seems to be on strike it's kind of it's very confusing like everyone's Oh, it work, but there are no trains and no ambulances and it's it's in an interesting place right now would you say i would yeah it's amazing how everybody's decided to strike all at the same time <laughs> that's convenient um it's yeah it's, it's I, I tend to switch off a little bit the, the politics of the country and uh, i think when covid hit i became so obsessed and so involved in what's going on and having to know what's happening and you know being very quizzical about the yeah. situation one way or another and then it, it it just wears you down and i feel like at the moment we're in a bit of a situation in this country where i think people are just worn down by the uh, the politics that's going on and you know the stresses involved with all the finances and 
at, at the moment, all we're so we can't. I don't, I don't know if it's the same in Australia, but so like energy bills are going like absolutely crazy, um, doubling, tripling. Um, wow. So that's taken quite a toll on. I mean, I know for me, I've had to really reassess everything. My bills are so high, I was forced into reassessing my pricing and yeah. um, cutting back on a lot of things and trying to claw some of that money back. So I, I think people at the moment in this country are just a little bit, oh, just over it. You know what I mean? The attitude is just, I'm just over it. <laughs> I'm not getting involved because it's, it's just too much stress to <laughs> try and keep up with. It sends you dizzy. <laughs> yeah, and I guess everybody understands, you know, if everyone's in the same boat, apart from the super rich, you know, people get that prices have to go up you know, and everything. But I do think it, it's much more expensive here than Australia. Like I was looking at fuel yesterday. Um, it's more or less double what we're paying in Australia. And Australia's yeah. gone up, don't misunderstand me. Like one of the problems yeah. there is that things like gas, Australia... Australia exports something like 60% of everything it produces. It can't consume everything it produces, which is yeah. great economically. But because the yeah. gas is exported, they're, they're trying to sell more overseas because they get better price. And then all they yeah. do is they just increase the local price to the you know international price, yeah. Yeah. which is the government's trying to say, hey, that's... Yeah. You know, but it's capitalism. You know, the government can't do an awful lot <laughs> to to control that. Yeah, it's I've. I mean, it's difficult. I'm from the UK, um, but I haven't lived here for a very long time. Yeah, I'm over here to see my mother, um, so I can't relate entirely anymore. But I come here and try and get my head around. You know, how's this working? And just the first thing I noticed is that there are no ambulances. Like <laughs> that's a bit. That's a bit. <laughs> Better drive more carefully. Yeah, it's not ideal. <laughs> and the protesters yeah, is, uh... and Brexit and so on. But I, I think you know, there's um when there's severe adversity and a protract, protracted length of time, you'll see innovation, you'll see new industries, you'll you know, um and you know, Britain's a real fighter, but Ukraine is is complex and the whole European yeah, thing yeah. I just don't understand at all really. Um, yeah well you're obviously growing which is is terrific in the context of that and i i spoke to um well he wasn't a screen printer um what's he called a t-shirt man just a couple of weeks ago from portsmouth um all right and he's um as far as i can work out he's a super color um you know um heat presser yeah so he, so he doesn't do yeah printing. and he does yeah. very well but he was saying that a few um, print shops in his kind of neighborhood, as it were, have just gone out of business. And, you know, so that, yeah, that's good in a way, right? It's obviously not good for them, but it means your market can grow. Have you noticed other yeah. printers going out of business in COVID? Yeah, one or two, one or two screen print shops that I would used to, that I used to talk to have, have gone, which is sad. Um, I, I guess in one way, it means there's opportunity there. Um, I, I was thinking times of, I mean, the best time to start a business is in a recession, right? So, yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got to take, you've got to make the most and you've got to find opportunity. Yeah. Um, I mean, in our industry, so we, you know, we print t-shirts for people. It's almost a way for people to make money. So when times are hard, when money's hard, mm. the innovative 
you know, they think outside the box, they think, well, what can I do to make some money? Yeah. We almost provide a, you know, we are one of the options, you know, we can provide you a product that you can make money with. Yeah. So that almost stands us in good stead when times are hard, you know, when recession hits. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, it's a way for the, it's a way for others to make money. Yeah. So I always take a little bit of comfort in that, you know, and then COVID was a perfect example. Uh, you know, COVID probably couldn't have got much harder for everybody, mm. but a lot of print shops got through it because, you know, we provided a way for people to support their families and make money for themselves. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's good to see that level of innovation. People, there's been, been people leaving now as well, haven't there? Like teachers and um, like primary school ed has, has changed because a lot of teachers have left the country and sometimes you see them yeah. back. That kind of happened in the 70s and 80s. I think some of those people, you know, eventually came back when the pound got strong again. All right, let's get back to screen printing. Um, what blanks do you <laughs> use? What are you using AS Color or Gildan or what's your go-to? Yeah, go I mean, my my go-to is definitely AS Color. I like the AS Color garments a lot. Um, so nine times out of ten, I will push customers in that direction. Um, and then if you know if that's not ticking the boxes that they need. Uh, continental clothing they make real nice garments for the eco-friendly side of things uh, Is that a British company? are they british where, where are they from i i don't believe i, I believe it's european uh, i'm not entirely sure where but they do a lot of um so they do the earth positive range which right. is organic cotton um a lot of it's it's all sort of um fair wage goes <laughs> to the manufacturers um, you know, just very eco-friendly and ethical. Well, it ticks all those boxes. But they are real nice garments as well. They've got real nice quality to them. Stanley Stella, I'm sure you've heard of Stanley Stella. They, they do nice shirts. Um, the Gildans are almost a fail-safe for when a customer says, this is too expensive, how cheap can we go? Okay, yeah. well, we'll go for a basic Gildan. But that's always sort of my last... Because the better the garment, the better the print finish. So Absolutely. naturally, as a printer, you always want to push the best yeah. garment because it supports your printing better. Yeah. Um, 100%. I mean, if you put a if you put a six color sim process on a Stanley Stella shirt, you can put the exact same sim process on a Gildan and Evie, and the the quality just doesn't look good. Just look as good. It's just not the same. Just because you've not got that tight knit and a smooth surface to put your shirts on. That's right. So yeah, I always like to go for quality. I noticed Gildan are responding to that problem. I've not tried out all the garments, but they're producing. Well, they tell me it's to do with the enzymes, but I'm not clever enough to understand all that kind of thing. But. And um, they're trying to produce. So I'm wearing a staple 5001. We print on AS Color. Same kind of deal. Yeah. We don't have Stanley Stella in Australia. Right. Um, right. You know, I've not heard of the Continental um, company you mentioned. Wow. But um, so we love, you know, AS Color. Our customers love them. But I notice Gildan are trying to replicate the staple tea in terms of the finish right. of the garment. It's a slider lighter tee, I believe. And they, they've got so many different t-shirts coming out, you know, you think, oh, we give that a go and and try them out. Um, 
So they may be a bit behind the eight ball, but I reckon they'll have a good go at catching up. But the other thing that we find about AS Colour is people know them because they're effectively yeah, yeah. a high street retail company as well. Yeah, that's I'm right. They have yeah, shops yeah. in the UK. They have shops in uh, in, in Australia. Yeah, yeah. And so people yeah. on a high street level go, oh, yeah, AS Colour. Yeah, yeah, I know them. I've got an AS Colour tea, you know, in the... In the you know yeah. they've, they've had some experience of them whereas Gildan for some reason in Australia I don't know if it's the same where you are um, people just have never heard of them you know or Comfort Colours or American yeah. Apparel they're just on the street they're just like who are they you know um, but I think a lot of bands have their historically have had their t-shirts printed on Gildan is that the same yeah thing? yeah I would say so yeah I think that's I think it all starts at a Gildan a Gildan Soft or a Gildan Premium or a Gildan Heavy. That seems to be the staple, uh, the, 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 the basic level garment. Bands, in you know, independent businesses and brands, they all start there. And then it's up to you to try and sell them something a little bit more premium. But you always seem to fall back to those three. Mm. Uh, I, I mean, if I, will, I see more Gildans in this shop than I see anything else. Um, but that's just because, you know, some people just want to go for as cheap as they can get it and they mm. go for the Gildans. Mm. I, I believe Gildan are starting to discontinue some lines. I know the, the Gildan Premium, which I always used to like that garment. So that, that sort of sat between heavy and soft. Um, it sort of sat in the middle. Is that called the 5,000? I believe so. It might be. Yeah, that's, I believe so. Um, but I always just like that garment, but I believe that one's been discontinued. So mm. yeah. But but I, you mentioned comfort colours. We can't get it over here anymore. Oh, really? We used to get it um, a few years ago. It used to be supplied, but I think Gildan discontinued comfort colours in the UK. So there's no supplier. But I used to love those garments. They were great. They are nice. <laughs> I miss them. I, I will try to find them over there. But, Some of the colours yeah. die migrate very easily because of the way they're yeah. done. Um, but they're really nice colours and they're really good so we have a lot of kind of surfy beach culture obviously in australia and um yeah, a lot definitely. of those surfing brands use something like you know nice washed out kind of look so they're good for those yeah. they do dye migrate on some of the colors um, which is annoying um yeah right so maybe because there's not such a big surfy culture i don't know but yeah i guess so maybe i mean i always thought of it as like a uh it's perfect for sort of a vintage or distressed print. Absolutely perfect. And, I, you know, I personally like that style. I really like the AS Colour. They do a staple wash. They're washed version of the staple shirt. I love those shirts. That's my go-to uh, when I'm looking for, like, a, a distressed finish. But that's kind of because I can't get comfort colours. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. That's a shame. But, yeah. um, do you get old style as well? Like a guild, and actually physically here, or are they just using distributors? Uh, no, I, 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 they're Europe based, I believe. I might be wrong, um, but they have distributors in the UK. Pretty much all of the major distributors for garments will have Gildan. Um and then you have various distributors. Some will have some brands that you like. Others will have a different brand. So yeah. you tend to use all the distributors. And, yeah. you know, just pick and choose what you need at the time. Okay. But they all seem to have Gildan. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's kind of nice in a way, because you can go to a distributor and buy 
any of the brands pretty much. Um, yeah, really. they're almost like um, garment houses. So you can get your Gildan, your Fruit of Alum, Bella Canvas, all of them from one place pretty much. Wow. And then any of it they haven't got, one of the other suppliers will definitely have. Yeah. Apart from comfort colours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We um, we don't have distributors like that. We just have to deal with the manufacturers. Um, Directly, right. Yeah, and that's fine. Works okay. But I do sometimes wonder, you do hear about, you know, in America, it's presumably the same in Britain that um, they'll make up an order from lots of different distributors, whereas we just have to go to the yeah. supplier and if they have, yeah. you know, it's out kind of thing. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, it can be a can be an issue stock-wise, um, but I suppose you've got a backup. So if you can't get it from one distributor, like like in America, you just go to the other, and mm. usually you can piece it together by getting bits and you know bits and drabs from one or the other until mm. you've got a full order. Mm. But I def I would say I mean one thing that has been a knock on effect of COVID is it's harder to get garments. Um, so if you get an order for hundred t-shirts, more often than not now you're having to wait for let's say the the triple XLs to come in stock. So they're obviously not manufacturing or restocking as often as we used to do. Okay. Because it's nine, nine times out of ten now you'll get an order, you'll go to order the entirety of the stock, oh, and there'll just be something missing. <laughs> Whereas before, I think it was a little bit more, you were a little bit safer. Um, you mm. always knew you were going to get that stock. Mm. Now you can be waiting a little bit of time for it to come back in. So yeah, gotcha. that's definitely a knock-on effect. Um, I'm just going to put my coat on because I'm freezing. Sorry, mate. Just gonna... <laughs> Welcome to the UK. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. It's a bit pathetic, but... Oh, don't worry. <laughs> um, so in Australia at Christmas time, it's the opposite of Britain, I believe. Australia is super hot, right, at Christmas? Yeah, yeah it's 35 I was chatting to my wife oh. this morning and she was saying it was a little bit too hot for her. Uh, <laughs> and then where one of my daughters lives, which is about an hour south, uh, it's 42. Um, so, yeah, it's getting quite warm. But it's been had a few cold years because we have a thing called El Nino, La Nina. I don't know if that's something that people know. Right. No. It's a weather pattern that works between the east coast of Australia and South America, and it flips. Right. So they'll have like yeah. a, a series of wet years, and we'll have like drought, and then it switches over. And so we've been flooding. Yeah. Um, so mm -hmm. just before COVID, we had fires. Um, and they came quite close to where we are. Like when I say fires, the physical. Um, to give you an idea of scale, the physical kind of front of the fire that's moving across the country is yeah. bigger than Britain. Right, so it's like wow, we we got locked into Gosh. our town. There'd been a drought for oh. three years, and then everything caught fire. And then when just about oh. when COVID actually kicked in, this El Nino thing in the Pacific switched, and switched. it's been pour, pouring with rain ever since. Everybody's flooding. And it's apparently about to go back the other way. So, but that's the story of Australia's right. dreams, right? Um, right. So yeah, it's summertime there now, and uh, 
uh, it's pretty warm. So um, doing water-based ink for someone like us is just not feasible, really. It's so difficult. I mean, I, I struggle. I, I attempted to be a water-based screen printer and anything past two or three colours, I just couldn't keep up on a manual press. So on an auto, I think I could manage it, but on a manual, well, on an auto, I could definitely manage it. I think the key, the key to an auto is that your flood bar is always moving. Hmm. So whereas on a manual, you'll print your colour and then that colour is going to be sat there whilst you print the other five. Yeah. And that's just enough time to, for that ink to get a little bit uh, a little bit gummy and to start to set into edges. Yeah. And as much as I love that finish, it, it was just almost not worth the extra stress <laughs> for me personally. Yeah. There, are, there are manual printers that make it work, but uh, you just got to weigh it up, really. Yeah, and it's like um, when we started, just like you, we were like, oh, we better use water base. You know, that sounds more ecologically sound, which I'm not sure it is, by the yeah. way. Um, well, it's a, it's a debate. It's yeah, definitely a debate. <laughs> we'll never get to the bottom of it because we never really know what's in any of these inks. I mean, they tell you, but you always think, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is, they've got to sell it, and neither side is going to tell you a bad thing. They're going to tell you either way. I, I my mate Tony, he, he's convinced at some point, water-based and plastisol are going to meet in the middle, and rather than having to pick from the two, we're going to have one ink that um, has all the eco-friendly properties, but it prints like a plastisol. You can leave it in your screen but it also washes with water. Mm. And he's convinced at some point we'll get to that point. Holy <laughs> so hopefully so. Yeah, that'd be awesome. It would be nice. I think one of the biggest things is having so many different pots and you're having to pick and choose depending on what you're printing. Mm. It'd be lovely just to go to the same pot every time. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be perfect. I've got some friends in Perth in WA, Tony and Lazan. Uh, they run a company called Antase. And it's they're actually amazing. They they like me knew nothing about screen printing, but decided they just go all in. And they uh, they went to the US. I think they got a Riley Hopkins. They got they just got the whole works and the ear yeah. and training. Yeah. And came back and set up. And they are a hundred percent water based house. They did don't do any plastisol. And it, you know they're purists. Wow. I really respect. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Um, uh, but they live in, I mean, Perth is a very, very dry city. And, yeah. um, but they, they just make it work somehow. And they're working on a manual at the moment. So it's doing yeah, it. Wow. But I tried it, as I say, when we got going <laughs> after a few months. <laughs> I was just like, this screen printing lark is a nightmare. And I almost gave up. I remember doing a <laughs> two color print, it was just a red, yeah. white print. They weren't even touching, you know, the ink, they were all nicely separated and I couldn't get it registered partly because of the crummy press I was on, but the drying out <sighs> in the, it was just mental. And I was like, I can't do this. This is just not possible. I didn't even know there was an ink called Plastisol. I never, <laughs> I didn't know anything. And then I found out and I was like, oh, yeah, well, go for that. That sounds dodgy. And then I was like, let's give it a go, you know. Bought a little tub of white reef, um, yeah, yeah, Whiteland or whatever it was, and I was like, 
this is just a gift. <laughs> just great. So it it is hard. Yeah. All right. So it's so much uh, more practical to print with. Um. Oh yeah. I was talking about your press. So I can see your press yeah. behind you. It looks like it's powder coated in black, but I know that's it's right. Red, yeah. But it's meant to be red, isn't it? Am I right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. So you yes. got an so what I, um, what, what, That's right. I got in touch with Anatole. Um. Basically. I really don't like that colour. <laughs> so I asked them to paint it for me. And then there was there was no hesitation. They just did it, yeah. They was totally happy about painting it for me. And uh, so it's a gunmetal grey. Um, it's like a, got a slight tint of blue to it. I don't think it really shows on camera, but yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm glad I made that decision. Because <laughs> it what, looks better. And plus it's kind of a one of a kind now. Yeah. It'll, it's the Thunder, I believe. Thunder. Thunder. And it's got yeah, side six, clamps. 6-6 Thunder. 6-6 Thunder with side clamps. The only thing I sort of regret not getting is the air clamps. Um, air clamps. I wish oh, I'd yeah. got air clamps on it. Yep. I didn't know they did. Yeah, so when you... Yeah, you can, add, you can just add it on as an optional extra. So I have to just tighten them up by hand. Yeah. But if I could just flick a switch and the compressors hold it tight, I'd, uh, you know, I think I'd have preferred that, but... You live and learn. You make mistakes, do you? Yeah, you know, you get that on your next one or whatever, or if you go to an auto, you'll yeah, different kind of clamps. Because I know that a yeah. question that um, has come up for you on Chippy T is this issue of registration creep when you lock down a screen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think, I, I think air clamps might help that a little bit. Because when you're tightening down your screens, the opposite end is going to slightly creep and move, and then you move across another. But whereas if all those four clamps come down same time, I feel like you'll be a little bit closer at least. Yeah, <laughs> to you, you want to be. If you can hold the screen in place and those clamps come down, and they're not, you know, like even with a a manual press or a where your lockdown is where you've got two controllers and it's pushing a plate down you'll always be more yeah. you know one bit one side of the than the other it's not exact so i think yeah you're yeah right on that because registration is a nightmare if you've got it dialed in and then it it moves a fraction of a mil <sighs> it's a, yeah it's a constant problem i feel you see i have this i have this ambition and dream that getting an automatic will solve that problem <laughs> But maybe that's just a living in dream world. <laughs> it it yeah. will and it won't. I definitely think it'd be easier than you a can, manual. <laughs> you can dial in. I would say with an auto, um, you still can often have the same kind of problem, but you can dial in the press to reduce that dramatically. Um, yeah. But they all have their quirks. You know what I mean? They're all, you know, this one's better for that and that. We use Vastex yeah. for a manual press, and we find that we had a little bit of creep when you lock in the uh, the um, micro edge, but yeah. we were able to kind of smooth that out and remove it. And part of it was yeah. technical yeah. in our case, but that's a press with yeah. back clamps, so not not side clamps. Side clamps definitely better. There's no question. About yeah, that. I think so. I, I moved from a back clamp. I had a what did I have? I had a workhorse quite an old workhorse press and um, a lot of the threads on the bolts were threaded um, you had to tap it in place with an hammer a couple of times 
So it was an old press, and um, when I when I switched to the Anatol, brand new Anatol, oh, it, was, it was just like a whole new. I was like, Christ, I can actually be a screen printer now. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it's amazing how much it yeah, does make a difference. People are always saying, you know, the the entry level is very low uh, to screen printing, but in reality, it isn't. Like it is if you're going to vinyl, you're going to super color, yeah. but actually getting good quality equipment makes a colossal difference in screen printing. And, and we were the same. We had terrible presses and then, you know, got, got a Vastex. But we absolutely love our Anatol. But I'll maybe come on to that. Um, <clears throat> but you're happy with the Anatol? Um, what is yeah. the Thunder again? Well, it, yeah. yeah, Anatol Thunder. I honestly couldn't fault it in any way. Um, Great, very good press. It's very solid. Post registration, perfect. I couldn't be happier. I, I wish I'd have gone for an eight colour. So I'm finding now a lot of the jobs that are coming through the door, and it's only very recently this year. Um, I'm just wishing I had that extra couple of screens for a highlight white. So it might be a six colour print, but really I could have done with a highlight white at the end. So I needed that seven screen. Other occasions where I think I wish I had um, a smooth down screen, so I've used all six colours, and it'd be nice to just have a, a screen to smooth down the underbase. Yeah, but uh, I ain't got that option now, so yeah. I wish I'd have gone for eight colour. But I my next step will be an auto, so it's kind of yeah. And I think that's a really critical point, right? I think that's an indicator when you when you're at six and you say we really need eight or nine or whatever that's a, a key indicator that you're on the trajectory towards an auto. I think there are others as well, but I think that's it. We we went from a four-colour one platen that lasted about three months before we just couldn't cope to a second-hand um, yeah. thing called an ad tech. I don't know if you have ad tech here. I think it might be Australian. Um, it, yeah, sounds familiar, but I don't think you get it over here very often. Um, that was a four color three platen, believe it or not. It was really wow, yeah. three platen, yeah. Exactly that. <laughs> um, but yeah, bit of a it was very old and uh, got yeah. a lot of reflection in the end, and it had no micro. But just jumping from like a Chinese press to that was inordinately different. Then we went to a Vastex 4.4, and then I, like you, yeah. I said, we really need you know, simulated processes coming in. I'm just sort of learning back then what that was and I was like actually we need more colour and I went to an A8 yeah. and I actually wish I hadn't done that um, it would have been fine if I'd got to a 6.6 six or even 6.4 yeah but yeah. when I got to the A8 the the jobs even on a simulated process where once you've laid the underbase and flashed it you can do wet on wet with the 90T scheme yeah. um the jobs were so slow, and I think that's the yeah, point. Yeah. You know, so if you got a you know an eight color job, even if it was just you know standard yeah. process and wet and wet, the jobs slow down so much that you you know all your other orders just backed up. So it becomes an economic yeah. question at that point. But it gives you the you know like say yeah, yeah. flattening screen if you want you put the highlight white on. Because we're always tempted to hit that underbase uh, twice, which is is never good. 
If, if you, no, you, 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 you want to avoid that, but there are times where there's no option. Hmm. So one of the benefits to, one of the benefits I would say to printing the, uh, the high solid water-based white, you can get away with it a little bit more. You okay. can print, flash print your underbase. Um, it's not advisable, it's not optimal, but you can get away with it because you, it's still a very thin layer of ink. So you won't run into any curing issues. Yeah. Whereas if you hit flash hit uh, plastisol, that ink's starting to build up, it's starting to get thick. And you have to be super careful that you are fully curing all the way through. Yeah. Um, and and plastisol, you know, hit print flash print and then colors on top, it just looks awful. <laughs> so yeah. you want to avoid that, definitely. But so, in water base, you can be a little bit more forgiving. I didn't know that. That's really good to know. I'm keen to give that Magna Aqua White. Is that what it was called? Aqua? Aquaflex. Yeah, Aquaflex. Yeah, really good. A lot of the industry are pretty much using Magna at the moment. Um, the water base are pretty, I would say they're pretty much the standard, the top, you know, top end, top of the market. Really good quality inks. Just really difficult to print with on a manual. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But on an auto, no bother. And do you reckon one of your options for an auto would be an Anatole, or are you just sort of thinking, no, we'll just see what the best of breed is? It, or? It's just a case of it's, it's a case of what comes on the market. Really, I'll, I'll definitely be looking on the used market. Um, I, my budget won't stretch to a brand new auto, so. It's a case of just looking around on the used market and just finding what's available. Mm. Um, an Anatole would be nice. Um, an M and R or an MHM, uh, maybe even a maybe even a Rock. It's just it's just whatever I can find, I guess, when I'm ready to buy. Yeah, yeah. And I guess if you find other yeah. screen printers are going out of business at all, you can, you know, kind of capitalize on that. And if you've got your ear to the ground, you can get something you know that you, you really want. Um, so you might have to yeah. go into the kind of compressed pneumatic uh, presses. You might get. Would you? Would your preference be for a all electric press? Um, it's hard to say because I, I don't know. I'd have to do a little bit of research. I mean, the price of electricity at the moment is going so high. Yeah, right. It almost makes you think: Is it better to have a compressor? <laughs> um, I'd, but I don't know. I don't know. I, honestly, it's just a case of I'll just see what's available at the time and sort yeah. of weigh up my options yeah. when I'm ready. But my research so far has just been more just admiring admiring the machines and just going, wow, those are amazing, rather than digging into which is going to be best for me. I've not really got that far yet. Yeah. But uh, hopefully in the very near future. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it be ideal. And you'll... Will you be able to cater for that in your current premises, or would you need to go for something bigger? Or, or yeah, that's a that's yeah, that's a bigger that's a bit of a stumbling block. I've measured this space. Um, there is a space downstairs, exactly the same width, so it's about four point two meter. So an auto, a small auto, is pretty much going to fill that. Mm. Um, so I, I I'd have to find a bigger space, um, which brings it brings another set of problems. The where I'm at now is a decent price. Where I go to 
to fit an auto is going to at least double. So all me, you know, all me, me expenses are going to pretty much double. I would say. Yeah. Um, so taking that jump into an auto means I almost have to guarantee that I can bring in more work to pay for it, you mm. know, to keep it spinning. Mm. But then you're sort of living on a seesaw. So right now on a manual, there's only so much work you can physically do. And you almost need to find that balance of, okay, I'm super stressed up. I'm getting plenty of work in and I'm making money, but I'm super stressed up and I can't really cope. Mm. I could really do it with an auto. Mm. But then when you start to relax a little bit, you're like, oh, no, no, I'm not making money. <laughs> and it's just finding that balance in the middle yeah. and to be able to jump. So, yeah, that's a, that's a constant struggle that I've been trying to get over for a few years, I guess, but and, and just keep chipping away. Yeah, and there are ways of planning for that, I think, that can really help you kind of move through that. But... Um, it's it's a funny thing. I, I've been in business, different kinds of business for quite a while. And um, I always tell people that growth can also kill you as much as like not growing. Yeah. Because if you don't grow at all. Yeah. You know, that sometimes yeah. you can get to a point, I think, where you can almost plateau and then you can try and become super efficient and then you can pull the ring yeah. out that way. But um, getting good, solid growth is excellent, but it's hard to manage. So you, yeah. you have this kind of gentle linear growth, then you can kind of plan and manage. But if you suddenly do this, that's yeah, really right. nice. And just, I think one of the cool things about an auto is that coping with those um, spikes in sales without yeah. slowing down your um, turnaround time, it just yeah. soaks them up. It works really well. Yeah. Um, but then... If you suddenly grow to capacity, like the team that I've worked with, I don't do the production anymore, fortunately. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> now I'm too old and my arms are falling off. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I came to screen printing late. That's my excuse anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, so is this the new normal? You know, it gets to another level. They go, so is this the new normal? And I go, well, surely it will quieten down. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it does, but it also then grows and it's coping with that continuing to cope with that is a problem and what i say to people yeah. you never get to the point where you're satisfied so you'll hear if you listen to other podcasts as well you hear people saying how many autos is enough and they go oh, if i can just get to yeah. one you know and for sure yeah, yeah. one makes a colossal difference but then they go, oh, you know what? We probably need a second one. You know what I mean? And you think, oh, it's really very, very tricky yeah. to get to that. Concept. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I think if you plan for it, you can you can work a way through that and, and into that. Um, but it's about timing. That's my my reckoning on it. Yeah. I think you've got to you've got to get it right. Um I'm I'm pretty close to ticking that box right now. It's um yeah, it, when it's when it's busy, it's so difficult to keep on top of, and the the risk you take is by trying to keep on top and doing all the production yourself, you start to upset customers if they're not going out, you know, on a, a reasonable time scale. If you're having to push your turnaround times um, outside anything outside of two or three week, mm. yeah, and you start to get customers who are just not quite happy, you know, mm. and that's why you're in danger of 
losing customers and sending yourself backwards. Yeah. Uh, but then there are times where, for, for me, where I'm super quiet and I could easily handle it on a manual. So, you know, it's just a, it's that seesaw. One day I'll find a balance. But Yeah, or the, or the, the peaks and the troughs will be so big. Sorry, I just got to turn this off. Um, that you'll have to go, you know, you have to get to that next level is your, your arms. Are yeah. So you're running yeah. the whole business. You've got, you employ someone else, I think, as well, though, don't you? Yeah, well, we, I did, I used to have two, well, recently I had two employees. I have my sister who comes in and she's just my right hand man. She just helps out stacking shirts, folding, polybagging, um, all the little jobs around the shop. And then I did have a, a, a lass who was basically running all my admin. She's least recently left. She was studying at university. So she was at university part-time and here part-time. Um, and it was always the plan when she found a job along the lines of the career that she was studying, she yeah. would move on. Yeah. And she just happened to find that job sort of six months early. Yeah. So sort of Christmas time, I took on that responsibility again. Um, and all the printing, etc. Yeah. So, whilst it's quiet right now, I'll carry that on. But then maybe towards, you know, when things start to pick up again, uh, April, June time, maybe I'll look at getting someone to help out with admin again. Um, so it just helps to have somebody who can answer emails. Is it easy to get other people, or is that quite a hard thing? Um. I think for the admin side of things, it's it's easy because you know you just you don't really need any price skills. You can anybody who's got a reasonable head on the shoulders can handle it um, as long as they're um, you know level-headed and they know how to type. We can pick it yeah, up. Right. Um, it's all. I, I mean, I when I and it was almost looking for um, character traits rather than you know have you got any experience. Um, finding someone that fitted in to the business personality wise and we could all get on with mm. that that was what I sort of went for mm. finding somebody who could screen print for me um which is an option that has been put forward to me a few times as an idea i just i just don't think i could let anybody near me press oh, really? <laughs> i just don't think i could trust them and the amount of effort yeah the amount of effort i feel like it'd take to teach someone to be able to do it, I, I almost don't think it'd be worth it for me because it take too much more, you know, so much of my time. Um, and it took a long time, you know. Screen printing is a, as we said, it's a it's a hard learning curve. So to employ somebody to print, uh, yeah, I um, I struggle with that one. I think mm -hmm. I will struggle to get someone. And in, in your, I mean, part of that, again, might be planning. Like we went through that kind of um, hurdle, went over the hurdle and tripped up several times in the process, um, but sort of pulled it off in the end. Uh, but part of that yeah. for us was we had a clear strategy, at least we thought we had a clear strategy about <laughs> where we wanted to go and what I want, where I wanted to, to work in the business. Yeah. I think... Yeah. With so many of the, these things, if you plan for it, it may not come out exactly the way you plan, but it'll move you in that direction. And and so that was going to be my question for you on that is, you know, do you see yourself more 
in time, not perhaps necessarily where you are now, just being the person that runs the business, or do you just want to continue in the in the craft really and the art of screen printing, which you've clearly nailed? I mean, you know, and that's very attractive because screen printing is very satisfying as a job, although it's hard work. It's like, wow, yeah, you know, yeah. The process has just come out. So, do you see yourself always doing that? Then, you know, is that your preference, or do you want to really? Kind of get into running the business only if you see what I mean. It's it's difficult. I feel like I'm quite torn between the two because I really love the art and I'm very passionate about producing screen prints that people look at and go, wow. Especially when it's other screen printers. When you get admiration from another screen printer, like that's the best feeling because you know, all right, you must be okay at this now. You're doing okay. You're not bad. I've <laughs> um, never had that. And I I'd, 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 like. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm still working at it. I'm still working at it. Um, but it's it's um, it'd be hard to let go of that and to just sit in the wheelhouse and just tell everybody what to do. Um, I'm also probably a little limited in my self belief because I almost feel like it's out of reach to be that type of business, which is right. probably a little bit dangerous and probably a little bit detrimental. To me, to me, business, um, because you know why? Why not? Surely I can grow that way if I, you know, if I wanted to, and if I worked hard enough at it, really, I should get there. Um, but it's difficult because you kind of need to know in yourself: Do I want to be that type of business? Do I just want people running around doing the production for me, and I'm just in charge, or do I just want to be almost, almost like the craftsman, um, like the carpenter? The master carpenter, uh, yeah. you know, just being the master screen printer, if you want to call it that. Um, I don't know. I guess you have to meet in the middle somewhere if you want to make a living out of it. Yeah. Because it's all very well playing on press and, you know, wow, these are amazing designs and playing with all the special effects, inks, and etc. But you've still got to sell them shirts at the end of the day. That's right. Um, so you have to find that balance, I guess. I think it's about like I say, planning and strategy, but it's also about making the right decision at the right point in time, which is the hardest part. Yeah. You know, are we ready for an auto? Are we yeah. ready to put someone else on press and so on? Um, but I think, again, even if you just start thinking about that, eventually you'll work out, actually, I do want to run the business more than I want to print. Or it might be that you don't, that you want to print more for the next 10 years or whatever. And you think, actually, you know, this yeah. is the point where I could really replace myself on the press and do more of the marketing and the sales and so on. Um, and I think, you know, it's a bit like, um, you know, I, I this is the first business I've owned where it's been manufacturing. It's all been kind of mind yeah consulting and it and things like that and i've run all of those businesses and i've owned them all and this is yeah. I, I often say to people man i wish i'd started this job 30 years ago just because um it's very satisfying and it's got a lot of art in it and i really like art you know yeah. i appreciate that side of it the artisan side the craftsman yeah side. yeah um but I could see myself kind of liking that too much for it to become like the next level. Yeah. And so there was a point 
when it was yeah. before we had, it was about a year before we had an auto, where I said, we, we've got to get someone else to do the printing. I actually can't keep up with the front end side of the business. Yeah. We got a, a student, um, rugby player in, right. and uh, love him to bits. He's a great guy. Um, and I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast, but, you know, he was just, solid <laughs> it was a trojan uh, put it in front of me i'll print it it wasn't finessed as a printer yeah. need to be you know that wasn't his thing understandably he's, he's yeah a, an educationalist um but he was just a bulwark you know we put him on and we'd feed the t-shirts and bang 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 yeah but what we yeah. did is we said look this is a print flash print this is a white one we're after a smooth res result um we don't want any blushes we want a solid print um and these things cost six bucks a time so don't ruin any of them <laughs> and, yeah you know and we just went okay we better buy another five percent for each order you know in case it went wrong but he learned yeah and we just put yeah. him on those jobs and then we put him on color jobs and he kind of got there and um and it was at that point i was like okay i can see myself being able to step away from the press when the auto came, it changed everything around how uh, you manage that and how you put people on that. And you can, to be honest, you not not in terms of setting up the print jobs. You need, you know, a Danny brain. You need a perhaps a Sam yeah. that understands regular, yeah. understands um, chokes and and the order that it needs to go in because you've got to get that right first yeah. time on an auto. Yeah, yeah. Well, on a manual, yeah, definitely. You can just, choose a different screen if yeah, you you could adjust it on the fly a little bit more yeah correct um so you you need that brain those kind of brains to set that up but to operate the press unless something goes wrong you don't need that kind of level of skill because the press is doing that work for you so there's another question yeah, yeah. Like that. um but i once I managed to get this this lad Jason kind of going on this, I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to make a run for the door now, and I'm going to get <laughs> out of the business part that I enjoy most." Um, yeah, and I do miss it, but I also don't miss it enough to want to go back and do it. Do you know what I mean? It's it's definitely for me. Yeah, but it's a key business question for you. Yeah, yeah, it's something I, I guess I have to. Um... Like you say, maybe plan, put a little bit of forethought into. Um, me and Tony talked about having a five-year plan because I've always sort of thought short-term. You know, you come to Christmas, New Year's Eve, you do a little bit of planning for the year ahead. Mm. But maybe now, maybe now it's the time to plan to plan five years ahead, mm. um, just to get you to think outside of the box a little bit. Stop, because I think very short-term. I think okay, well. I've got all these to produce. I've got, you know, there's barely any room left to think, well, what am I going to do in five years' time, 10 years' time? Mm. Where do I want to be? And I'm trying to <laughs> switch into that mindset a little bit more now. Yeah. Um, thinking of a bigger picture. Yeah. Putting at least those uh, bullet points, you know, and then the details of how I get there can fill in yeah. as we go. 100%. But at least having yeah. an overall idea. Exactly. Is, um, yeah, but I definitely... I think that's uh, something that's been on my mind and something I'm trying to do before I get too heavily involved in production again, you know, as the year kicks in. Um, so, uh, I hopefully, think, yeah, I think we'll work it out. 
when we do a five-year plan the first thing first bullet point that goes down is when does the five-year plan get reviewed because yeah you know you, you don't want to set everything in stone too much or give yourself too bigger aspirations because you don't know what the yeah. journey is going to be like so we might say let's do a three-year plan plus two and the and the plus two bit is always the dream you know it's always that little yeah. bit, the other auto whatever it happens to be retiring yeah. that might be a nice idea um, <laughs> yeah. but when you get to two to three years you're redesigning your plan and what happens often yeah. at that point people don't redesign it they just get kind of stuck in the quagmire of where they got to so constantly reiterating yeah. that after a while not two months in or something that wouldn't work yeah of course i think it's really important but yeah just bullet points i mean you know what, what do i want to achieve in the next year well i want to get to this level i want to hire someone to do that i want to be into this market over here i want to increase the revenue to x whatever whatever it is and i want to start saving for an auto and i want to you know see how yeah. it's going that's year one that's fine see how it goes but what would year two look like well if that goes according to plan i'll buy the auto at this point you know let's say november so it comes in december or january or you know whenever the timing's right yeah maybe not december based on what you were saying so I, I, I've got a, a buddy <laughs> yeah. back, back in the gold coast called mitch rawlings who was a uh, um a bodyboarding champion i think he might have even been at the oh, right. and he had his own clothing brand wow. he's a very modest guy but if you yeah him, you see he's he's like he was sponsored by all those top brands and uh yeah. he basically after a while was like oh i think i can actually screen print this stuff myself and he hired a, a screen wow. print from um who was it one of the really top brands oh forgotten who it was now anyway um and he's been working on vastex manuals and he's got this kind of idea yeah. of training and, and it's pretty innovative, very innovative. He just texted me yesterday to say, um, my auto's here. <laughs> and it, in my mind, I was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> got to get the thing installed and running. Um, but it's also a bit of a nightmare for yeah. a few months, but he'll cut, cut through that real quick. I bet, yeah. But it's a thing of timing and, you know, yeah, that's part of his strategy and he's got he's already working on the strategy for the next bit i think yeah that's the way to go with it you know oh, i'm gonna say basically uh i think um i think getting the auto you're solving a lot of problems but then you're introducing a new set of problems yeah. so i guess i think the um when you when, when you get that auto you're gonna have you know that sensation of relief and excitement of what's to come yeah but then you're gonna have to start firefighting little problems yeah just like you do on a manual you're just swapping one set for another but i'll still be happy to see it <laughs> the day that comes i'll be uh, i think i'll probably just sit corner and cry and look at it <laughs> for a little while <laughs> yeah absolutely and and you will you're right you'll encourage you'll encounter issues that you just didn't even know existed in screen printing because you're moving from a manual yeah, set yeah. of arms, human beings' arms that are very there's muscle memory, there's physical strength, there's the experience of actually I need to screen print this at a slightly different angle. Actually, that one now needs to be a push stroke because I don't know, you've got a loose screen or something. And it's all in there, right? You've got yeah. all of that, you know exactly yeah, yeah. almost without 
thinking about it, you just make an adjustment and, you know, it's back on track. That's that all vanishes yeah. and becomes, you know, either a pneumatic or electric process that you've got no feeling of. You've got no, you can't touch that. You can only see it. Yeah. So we found that that was a big jump. Um, yeah. That's why I said you still need that brain to set things up. We're training someone else. So I've got, and one of my daughters as a co-partner in the business, she owns half the business. Right. Um, yeah. And so she runs, the, she's 26 and she runs the whole of production and she's bringing on one of wow. the team members to get him up to that level where he can register and set up. But there's a, yeah. there's some way to go on that. Um, but the first thing we noticed was the setup time. I almost went back to a manual press. It was like, this is, only <laughs> we can do this. Yeah. Like it was taking hours to set up, you know, five, seven color job or whatever. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I was like, when we first started, it was like, ah. But now that's piece of cake. That's as quick as it would be, probably quicker actually than on a manual press. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it took us a long time to dial that in. And it was quite um, disheartening to begin with. Because you go, oh, this thing can yeah, I can imagine an hour, and suddenly, yeah, it can do five six hundred an hour, but it took us two hours to set it up. You know what? Well, yeah, <laughs> four jobs on the man. Yeah. So I yeah, think there are yeah. those things, but I think it's like everything. You just learn them, you dial them in, and then it's like we're really cranking the handle now, and you know, you're spitting them out. Yeah. Um, what kind of uh, oven conveyor oven do you use? Is there any particular brand or? it's a it's an old panther i don't know if you guys got panther but it's a panther textile tunnel uh, textile tunnel it's um it's very basic it's not i, I when i do my instagram pictures i try to not put it in the shot right. <laughs> i'm a little bit embarrassed by it it's very basic and um, it's just an old dryer but the, the space i've got small so it was just a case of fitting in what i could yeah and um i thought about getting a new dryer but this is, there's no point in me getting a dryer that's sort of a little bit bigger than what I've got now for a manual, but then you know a few a year down the line get an auto, and then I need a bigger, a much bigger dryer. Yeah. So I'm just sort of putting up with what I've got for now. But yeah, it's just a small dryer. It's only a couple of meter. It's not um, not a very long dryer. Yeah. It's not fancy. It's not got it's not got forced air or anything, but it does the job <laughs> for now. Yeah. Just about. And to be honest, they are a basic thing. You know what I mean? Even like yeah. the new funky, this, that, and the other. They're just a glorified pizza oven, really. Bigger and, and maybe a bit hot. Yeah, in yeah. a nutshell. Yeah. That's what they are. We, we've got an, we've just got a new one. We're really chuffed with it. But because we had an auto, you know, but we we just lumbered on with our old one, which, again, I was a bit embarrassed about. It's like, like someone said it was 30 years old. <laughs> think everything's been replaced in that wow time. it's just an old clunky thing and the belt slides yeah. away and oh you know and occasionally one of the, the few <laughs> or whatever but it did fine you know what i mean yeah tens and hundreds yeah. of thousands of garments over the the years and um and i think again that's a question of timing you know like i get the auto we'll run this Okay, the business is the the, the um, turnover of garments is so big now, we need to justify getting a bigger dryer and you know move in and, and get that at that point. But yeah, you know I think tunnel dryers, oh, unless like you say, you know you need forced air and you know 
maybe deep people doing DTG and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's such a big issue. But yeah. The width at some point. Yeah, I guess it's just a case of um, keeping up with your printing, your output. Yeah. You know, right now, it can be a bottleneck. Sometimes I have to stand and wait for the shirts to come, you know, to go through before I can load another shirt. Yeah. Um, so I guess you just need a as big a dryer that can keep up with your your production rate, really. Yeah. Um, right. I guess you just need a dryer that allows you to, you know, print at full speed and not have any hold up. Um, and again, when that when that auto is uh, within grasp. I'll upgrade the dryer at the same time. Yeah. Um, I'll have a bigger space, bigger auto, bigger dryer. Tick those three boxes. Yeah. If I can do them in the near future, I'll be pretty happy. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's, that's the goal. Yeah, that's that's a great goal. All right. So question for people for you, for people that are just starting out in screen printing, so not vinyl or anything else. Um, what would be your kind of top few bullet points of advice for people getting going in screen printing hmm. other, well, than, other than don't do it <laughs> that would be my uh, number one to be fair I, I, do you know what I think I would advise um, trying to get experience in another shop mm. um, even, if, even if you have to do it unpaid because just from experience learning self-teaching self you know self i'm a self-taught screen printer i learn on the job i put myself out there and tried to make money when i had no business doing that i had no right to do that because i didn't really know what i was doing so mm. i was learning under such extreme pressure to deliver to paying customers mm. and to get it right mm. um, it was almost detrimental and i definitely feel like my progression as a screen printer was much slower than it really could have been. Um, if I'd have just, you know, thought, well, I like the idea of this industry. I'd love to have my own shop. Why don't I see if I can get a job somewhere doing it? Um, and not everybody has that option. I know for me, I was probably, I mean, even now, I'm the only screen printer in uh, quite a while. I think my nearest screen printer is in Leeds, which is a couple hours drive. Oh, wow. Um, which, yeah, so I've got a reasonable catchment area. Um, so I, I, I mean, I didn't really have that option, but I think if you've got that option, go learn on someone else's on someone else's time with someone else's t-shirts and someone else's money. To be honest, mm -hmm. because it's a very hard process to learn, and uh, yeah, but that would probably be my number one tip. Mm. Um, you just got to get stuck in. I guess mm. you've just got to get experience because you can have as much look, understanding the fundamentals and the basics of screen printing, understanding what, what blades to use and what squeegee pressure and angle, etc. You need all that. But until you pull, a, pull up some ink for a shirt, um, you don't pick the subtleties of the feel and mm. the, you know, and it just, you just got to do that a lot of times before, you know, it sort of clicks. Um, so get some experience and just, you know, just get stuck in is my number one tip, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Or just don't do it. Just yeah. find a better job. <laughs> uh, I think it's a great job. I really think it's a great industry. I do. 
yeah, yeah. The, the manufacturing replicable component of you know reprinting reprinting like it's phenomenal but having the yeah. art yeah it, you know we're not building a you know water pump for a, an audi or whatever we're we're creating art each time and it's you know so also yeah. other people's yeah. art you know seeing other people get yeah. their comments yeah. and go wow you know see we did some work for an aboriginal artist um before i came away uh, to britain and he came to pick up we don't like you we don't have a lot of local business we we tend to be more national like you yeah and um we always leave the boxes open if someone's coming to collect and this guy came yeah, out yeah. and you know there's a big rightly a big story behind his art and i just held up a hoodie and i went you know here is a print he was almost in tears he was so excited yeah <laughs> his artwork on a garment yeah. um and I think that's really satisfying, you know, as a job. I think it's, yeah, it's a nice feeling. Do you feel like in Britain it's cutthroat or do you feel like the printers are pretty friendly um, or they're quite guarded with their secret knowledge? <laughs> I, I, I think, do you know, I, I'd actually think a lot of printers now, I think it's like, um, I almost think it's an age thing. I think a lot of the younger print shops, you know, um, are quite open and a lot of us talk to each other and we do share a lot of things between each other. I think there are print shops, big, big, big print shops who don't even have Instagram accounts because they don't need to. They've got no need for it. They, uh, they get their business elsewhere. And um, I, I don't think they'll be sharing any secrets anytime soon. But mm. I, think, I, think the, I think the industry has almost become a lot more open. Even in a short space of time, maybe over the past maybe the past five or six years, yeah, it right. seems that you can talk to each other and you can share ideas off each other. And I think that's only a good thing because progressing the industry as a whole can only benefit all of us, you know? Uh, the better we all get, the better, the better it is for everybody. Yeah, I agree with that. And I feel like swapping ideas, you know, even if, you know, you kind of give away some of your custom or whatever, or, you know, in the case of the town where I live, there are two other screen yeah. printers and one is on contract. The other is a sort of charitable organization that's just bought uh, the screen print business from another business in town. And they're, right. they're at ground zero. They just, they just hired a guy who's never printed in his life, didn't know anything about it. And he's getting on with oh. it. And we're just trying to kind of interact with him and, and encourage him and do a bit of training and so on to help him out um yeah and i would never have done that in any other business i've been involved in I'd never <laughs> and part no. of it, the enjoyment of just encouraging someone else and maybe learning from them in some cases and training them in others and yeah and i feel like it's, it's quite a cool industry but in australia i have that same dilemma in that the younger yeah. folks really are quite open it seems so not all i mean you know and certainly not all yeah. folks aren't, but there is a, perhaps because of the history of the competition around that, and obviously the big print shops don't want to talk to anyone and are just working on no. contracts. So mm, it's a good industry, I reckon. I really do. I, I Yeah, I think overall it's a very, um, op overall it's open, um, very friendly. I mean, I obviously on Instagram stuff, 
I talk to all the, you know, lots of screen printers and we always, you know, we message each other every now and again. And <laughs> I've never run into anybody who, um, I've not got a bad word to say about anybody in the industry, really. So that's mm. a, I think that maybe that's a rarity. <laughs> Other mm. industries are maybe not so, not so friendly. So You've also yeah, got suppliers good. here, like there's a company here called Screen Print World. I mean, that's like, wow. Yeah. Over in Australia. <laughs> yeah. That sounds fantastic. I just bought something off them. Um, we bought a squeegee cleaner, you know, like one of those. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Things with a brush. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm quite interested. Yeah, yeah. I've got to buy another suitcase to get it home, but I didn't realize quite how big it was. <laughs> but yeah, it's to, have, to have supplies like that, it's pretty cool. It's a bit more, a little bit more piecemeal in Australia. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that's the idea behind the podcast in a way is to try and get more kind of cross commentary and and support and and ideas between different screen printers and different companies. Um, so just a couple more questions. Sorry to take up all your time and for the no, don't worry, it's cool. Uh, flipping cool. sweet. <laughs> what where did you, where did you come from? Tell it because it's unique. Uh. Right? Yeah, it's hard to forget. Um, it's I, I really wish I had a really interesting story to tell you, but <laughs> honestly, I, 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 it sounds so corny and <laughs> a little bit cheap. I actually dreamt it. It was a dream. <laughs> I, really? I, so I left my job. Yeah, I left, I left my job and I knew I was going to do something on my own. And obviously at that period of time, I was just constantly racking my brains thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then one night I was dreaming about printing t-shirts and, you know, being a print, being a print shop and just sort of like coming up with a business plan asleep wow. <laughs> and flip it. And that's where Flipping Sweet came from. What? So, that's amazing. I, I don't want to say it was like a, no, no spiritual thing. I was just obviously <laughs> subconsciously <laughs> building a business plan, I guess. Wow, is there that's what it came from. Yeah. Yeah. I, I half I half regret it. <laughs> I, I half regret the name because um quite often so I'll be on the phone setting up um I don't know an account for a bank or a new supplier or whatever. And if they don't know what I do, they say, Oh, that's an interesting name. Do you sell sweets? In the yeah, UK. Right. So I haven't thought of that. I don't I know if in Australia it's a different word. Lollies. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, candy. <laughs> candy. Yeah. So over we eat it, it's sweets. And I always get, oh, so you sell sweets? No, I don't. I print t shirts. <laughs> so yeah, it causes some confusion. <laughs> it's, a, it's an English euphemism. But generally, it's okay. I don't so, mind it. When people say, that's flipping. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I think it, it works. It works really well. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. I just thought, I, I feel like it's a creative industry and um you see a lot of corporate names and a lot of corporate branding but for our industry it's so it's so creative and it should be colorful and bold and you should have funny funny weird names etc just because uh we've we've got that luxury because it's creative you know so I yeah like... i can't think of any really bad names but there are some pretty uh, i wanted to call up <laughs> ink it over um, which oh, that's great! <laughs> I like that one. It didn't quite, <laughs> um, get approval from the other other oh. business. Um, okay, um, 
just to kind of conclude um tips and traps for other people you've mentioned about um the art and the um the skill really of getting that smooth printing using that um aquaflex as the underbase and then you know yeah maybe using that flattening screen and so on and getting the reducing the fibrillation and, and so on what other uh so that's a major tip for people you know getting into it or even people that have been into it a while and they've got that thick, yeah what other kind of tips yeah that might be helpful uh, for people getting going but, in terms of the actual job of printing yeah i, I mean i guess i would I wouldn't. I don't think I would recommend people jump straight into printing an underbase with high solid acrylic and then using plastic solid colours, because, like I say, the manufacturers will tell you not to do that. So if it all goes wrong for you, and I've advised it, <laughs> it's not my fault. But give it a go. See how it go, see how it turns out for you. Yeah. Um, if you're a straight straight plaster solid printer, I think something that often gets um disregarded is mixing that ink like really stirring that ink giving it a real good even if you have to get a drill you know you get the drills or you can buy the mixing uh mm. platforms that spin for you mm. really working that ink in before you go to press mm. for a good chunk of time mm. um, makes such a big difference i find yeah um, especially with white white can you can go from straight out of the pot um you know, just give it a quick stir, put it in your screen, or you can really thoroughly mix it and get a good consistency. And you'll just find your underbase is so much smoother and mm. also more opaque at the same time. Mm. Yes. So don't underestimate that, I guess. Um, good quality screens. I, I guess it all starts in the screen room. Um, I, I think the screen room, it isn't attractive and it isn't fun. It's cold, it's damp, it's... It's the it's dark, mm. so I think I know I know when I first got going, the screen room was almost oh god I've got to buy a you know I've got to buy a screen rack it wasn't exciting, um, mm. so it's almost got left behind a little bit, but now that I'm a little bit more clued up about these things, the screen room's everything. Yeah, I want my screen room to be the all singing, you know I want it to be a Ferrari, a Ferrari of the print shop. Mm. Um, really take care of the pre-press um, because that's where it all starts yeah. and that's the most important aspect of a good print good good screens high tension clean um yeah so i would always I, i'm very tempted to automate my screen room before i automate my print press mm -hmm. um, i'm very tempted by that so get an auto coater yeah, autocoder. Yeah. 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 So that's, yeah, autocoder. That's, uh, that's something that could realistically happen um, before I even get a, before I even get an auto press. Uh, yeah. So I guess, I guess take care of this, take care of the um, pre press because uh, that's where it all starts. And just quickly, what, what do you do? How do you create your artwork You're using Illustrator, Photoshop? Yep, so pretty much pretty much all Photoshop. Some of the separation work I outsource um, just because it's it's actually cheaper for me to outsource than for me to physically take the time away from the press yep. to do it myself. Yep. 
Um, so if it's a if it's a multiple colour job, I just outsource it. Um, I know a guy who's like a, an absolute wizard in Photoshop, and he gets it spot on every single time. So uh, it's one of those cases where you could do it all in house, but as a small business, a small print shop, time away from the press is expensive. Mm. Um, and if I can outsource some things it actually works out cheaper because I make that money back by, you know, getting jobs out the door. So, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's wisdom for sure. Okay, any questions for me before we wrap up? Um, yeah, how are you finding the UK? Apart from really, really cold. Extremely <laughs> wet as well and dark. Yeah. 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 <laughs> look, I'll be honest, it's good to be here. I visit rarely now. Um, in the last 15 years, I've been here three times. Um, wow. This has been an extended. I've been off for four weeks, um, or I will have by the end of the this week, and that's kind of nice in a sense of, you know, being a bit away from the business. Although, probably like you, been still doing quotes and stuff from here. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been good to to get here. It's always good to get away from business and try and reflect and you know, catch up with mates and stuff and do this kind of stuff. It's just, it's a real gift. Um, yeah. yeah. I do worry a little bit about Britain, but I just, I can't honestly say I really understand the politics or anything like that anymore. I don't know if anyone does, but it's certainly... No, uh, I don't think anybody does. It's like three, <laughs> I three don't think anybody gets it. Three different prime ministers in the last year or so. Yeah. 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 But uh, that's, I mean, that's the same anywhere, I guess, at the moment. Um, but yeah, I'm enjoying it here. Yeah, thanks. All right, yeah, course, listen, uh, Danny, before you go, flippandsweet.co.uk, is that right? That's right, that's the one. And the Instagram? Uh, flippandsweetuk. Okay. my Instagram. And you on Facebook as well? Yeah, I don't really use it. I, To be honest, Instagram is all I use, really. Um, Instagram, flippandsweetuk. I've got, I've got a TikTok account, but... Again, I just don't use it. I just can't be bothered. I've seen <laughs> I you Instagram. I've seen you some of your videos on Instagram, and they're, they're really. I'm, I was going to be really corny and say they're flipping sweet, but that's cheesy. Um, <laughs> they're really good quality. They're good fun as well. There's a lot of humour in them. And I really appreciate. Yeah. it. It makes it more interesting. Yeah, I, I tried. I think I've worked so hard at social media in the past and tried to take it seriously, and just got no results. Yeah. I got to the point where I just sort of wore down a little bit and thought, do you know what? I'm just going to do what I want to do on it. And I almost use it as a bit of fun for myself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, sometimes I like to put little funny funny videos in and I try to have a bit of fun with my descriptions for my images. Yeah. Because uh, I've got to get got to get some something back, you know, yeah. something back out of it. <laughs> so a bit of enjoyment. More kind of earthy and real to kind of engage in and uh, connect with that and <laughs> see yeah i'm having yeah. fun doing it to be honest you know it's not all yeah, good, yeah good stuff so danny yeah, thanks so much thanks so much for coming on the show really appreciate it it's been no worries. really informative and uh super encouraging to see how you're growing and, and what you're doing and everything it's, it's tremendous so thanks for all the yeah. tips you shared as well along the way i appreciate it all yeah right. thanks for having me on it's good to chat mate good fun yeah, and we'll catch Enjoy up again. It. You know what I mean? Like, we can do this again in a year and 
see where you've yeah, got absolutely. To. you can see where we've got to which may be nowhere yeah <laughs> okay well thanks very much for that i'll catch you later Thank you.